Welcome to the Influence and Impact Podcast for Female Leaders. My name's Carla Miller, and I'm a leadership coach who helps female leaders to tackle self-doubt, become brilliant at influencing, and make more impact at work. I've created this podcast to help you to become a more inspiring and impactful leader. And I want to become the leadership BFF you didn't know you were missing until now. How many times do you find yourself saying yes to something that isn't your job because you don't want to be seen as unhelpful? How about volunteering for tasks that you don't really have time to do because no one else is volunteering and you hate the awkward silence? What about when someone comes to you with a problem that isn't your job to solve and even if you can't help them, you feel that you have to find them an alternative? This is what I call letting people hand you their problems. If you ever struggle with any of those three situations, then it sounds like you could do with a little bit of practice and support so that you can stop saying yes to the things that you don't really want to do. And that's what this episode is all about. Now, before we jump into the episode, I teased something in the last episode and I want to tell you more about it now, Um, mainly because I'm just so excited (laughs) about it. I want to tell people. So, We have a new leadership community starting soon. I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know exactly when it's starting, but we are starting a list of people who are interested in it, who want to hear about it first, because there will be some great opportunities for those who get in fairly. So why now? Why this community? Well, I spend a lot of time listening in the various courses that I run, open courses within organizations, all the one-to-one coaching I do, I spend a lot of time listening. And that's how I come up with the things that I offer. I look for the themes. And there are some themes coming up a lot at the moment from the managers and leaders I'm talking to. Leading can be really challenging. And many of us don't have the support that we'd like. Our line managers are equally busy We're not getting a chance to talk things through, to talk about how we're feeling, what's on our mind. So within the community, we're going to include fortnightly peer coaching calls where you and two peers on the call will go into a breakout room and provide each other with support and encouragement and a sounding board to talk through your challenges and issues. We've been trialing this within our influence and impact program, and it's almost one of people's favorite parts of the program. So we're going to deliver those fortnightly. Now, the other thing that's happening in leadership is that change is a constant. There are changes happening all the time within your organization, but also the expectations of leaders just seem to get higher and higher. As we understand more about what makes a healthy workplace, that does put more onus onto leaders to be even better at what they do. And what we find is that many people get sent on a one-off course or a couple of workshops, but they don't have access to regular opportunities to learn and grow as a leader. So we're also going to be offering monthly leadership training based on what you as a community tell us that you're struggling with, what you want to learn about, and we will bring in experts based on that. Now, the other thing, and I'm pretty sure you can all relate to this, is we're all tired. Some of us are even heading towards burnout. There's a lot of overwhelm and work can feel relentless. I ran a session recently and I asked people at the beginning, one word, how are you feeling? And the number of people who said tired. 
So we're offering monthly well-being sessions where you can learn the tools that you can use to help you feel less stressed, more resilient and less worried about work. Now, I want to caveat that by saying we could all do with doing less work. That needs to change from the top. But until that changes, we need to work out how to survive and even thrive in this really challenging environment. And then the other thing is, if you ever have those moments where you wish you could get a piece of advice quickly or by be directed to the relevant resources or just have a bit of solidarity at the end of a tough day, the online community is a space where you can do that. Now, we have got some other exciting things in the mix as well, and I'm talking to partners about those. But that's what we're offering, basically, a place where you can come, be supported, learn, grow, support others that feel safe and just really feels like there are other people with you on your management and leadership journey. It's not just you. I'm still trying to decide if this is just for women, which is obviously my happy place, or if we open at least bits of it up to people regardless of their gender, because many of these issues obviously are not women only issues, but it is nice to have that space. So I have been running a poll on that on LinkedIn. Anyway, if that all sounds fabulous, please go to carlamillertraining.com forward slash early bird. That's all one word. And there you will find somewhere you can just pop in your name and email address so that when it's ready, we let you know about it. And obviously we'll be using the response to that to judge whether this is something of interest. If there's no interest, we won't create it. But to me, it feels like something that's really needed at the moment. Okay, so enough about that. Let's talk about how you can stop saying yes to the things you don't really want to do. So we're going to look at those three situations that I mentioned early on in the episode um, and share some strategies, but also explain why we do certain things. Because sometimes we do something and we're like, but why do I keep doing that? And we judge ourselves for it. And there's usually really good reasons why we do it. So the first one, saying yes to something that isn't your job because you don't want to be seen as unhelpful. So when I have this conversation with my coaching clients, and they do quite often come to me and say, I've just, I said yes to this, and now I'm really resentful, and I really wish I didn't have to do it. I don't know how to get out of it. And I just don't know how to deal with those conversations. And so I say to them, what would you like to say in an ideal world? And they give me this unedited version that's really clear really direct. And they say, but I can't say that. And often actually what they've said would be completely acceptable to say, like, it's not rude at all. It's just really clear. Um, And I'm a big fan of clarity. But instead of saying that, because it feels uncomfortable, instead they smile and go, sure. And they put aside their own work and priorities in order to get things done. So why Why do they, why do we, if you relate to that, do this? Well, one of the main reasons is because we want to be liked. Now, it's just a human need to want to be liked because it it relates to belonging. Like if you think back to cave man and woman times, you needed to belong to a community to stay safe. That's how you got your food for a start. That's how you got your shelter. And so you did whatever you needed to do in order to belong. And that's still running our behavior to some extent now. Many of us still really want to be liked. And women in particular are programmed by society to be more likable. 
girls get a lot more praise for being likable than they do for being clear and direct in their communication. And unfortunately, studies do show that women have to be likable to progress in the workplace, which is deeply, deeply annoying in itself um, that men do not have to be equally likable in the workplace. But actually, I think it's really important to draw the distinction between being likable and people liking everything that you have to say. And this is something we talk about within Be Bolder. Because being likable is about people's general experience of you. You Are you someone that listens? Are you someone that makes them feel valued? Are you someone that cares? Are you someone that seems to do the right thing and makes good decisions? That's what being likable is about. It's about how you're showing up every day. It's not about people liking absolutely everything that you say and do. And I think this is particularly important to to really take on board at management and leadership style. And we do do a lot on this within our courageous conversation session of Be Bolder. Now, there are also some of us that are so naturally helpful. It's one of the things we pride ourselves on that we would absolutely hate to be seen as unhelpful. And I think it's worth remembering that people aren't going to revise their opinion of you completely if you've said no to them on something when it's been completely reasonable to say no. I mean, if they do, um, I think that's them that probably has an issue rather than you. It isn't actually physically possible to go above and beyond constantly you'd be exhausted. And so you might be listening to that going, well, I do go above and beyond constantly. And yep, you're right. I'm exhausted. Uh, I know quite a few of my clients are exhausted and overwhelmed when they come to sessions and they are doing and giving a lot more than is actually being asked of them. And some of us obviously have jobs that are asking a huge amount of us as well. Okay. So if you're listening to this and going, Oh, right. All right. I get that sometimes it's okay to say no. Um, and I actually want to say no quite a lot of the time, but I really, you know, how do I do that? Top tips for you. The first one is let's not go from saying, yeah, sure to nope, can't do that. Um, and certainly let's not do it in one step. So what some of my clients have found really helpful is just this idea of using a holding phrase in response and a holding phrase that manages their expectations. So that holding phrase might be, thanks for asking me, I'm going to have to go away and look at the team's resources uh, and I'll come back to you on that tomorrow or in the next couple of days. What you need to be careful with with those holding phrases is sometimes we can want to seem helpful and so we can be really gushing and go, I'd love to do that, let me just check and we leave people with the impression that we are likely to do it. You want to leave people with a very neutral impression. You want to leave people going, okay, she might be able to do it. She might not be able to do it. And that in itself means they might go, well, maybe it's quicker to do it myself. Or maybe there's someone else more appropriate that I can ask. So come up with a holding phrase that feels good to you that basically says, I want to be helpful, but we're under-resourced at the moment, or we've got a lot of things on our list. I'm going to have to go and and look at the priorities. I'm going to have to look at the budget, the team, whatever it is that you need to say. Now, if there's part of you that, that is divided, so perhaps like 
half of you really wants to say yes because you want to be helpful and half of you really wants to say no it can be really useful to have a checklist so you can agree that when you're not under pressure and not in that kind of people pleasing mode a checklist that says okay what are the things that would make it a good idea for me to say yes to this and what are the things that mean it's a definite no um, so it might be you say yes to things where actually there's opportunities to build your profile or um, it's building new skills for you um, or something like that. It might be you say no to things where actually you're not getting anything from it at all and it's going to be extremely time consuming. So you can build your own criteria that will allow you to decide whether to say yes or no. And then it's just a case of communicating that and communicating the reasons why. I know that many people say no is a full sentence. I also don't know many people that respond well if someone just goes no. So I think it's nice to explain. Personally, it's totally up to you, but I often choose to. So I will say, no, sorry, I don't have the capacity to take that on right now. Or no, we don't have the resources. Or I have to focus on priority projects. So I'm going to be unable to do that. You know, it doesn't actually need to include the word no, as long as you're being clear. And you can decide for yourself. You might want to say sorry. I quite often say sorry because I would like to help. I'd love to help everyone all the time, but but I can't. I'd love to do all the things. So I say sorry because I am genuinely apologetic for that. But there's absolutely no need to say sorry at all. But don't beat yourself up if you do. Okay, so that's one of the ways that you can stop saying yes to things that aren't part of your role. Now, of course, sometimes if you're in a, a support role or the person asking you is someone more senior than you, you might not necessarily feel that you are empowered to say no. You might think, well, because they're more senior than me, I can't say no. Now, um, there's a couple of episodes we've done in the past along those lines that are, are worth listening to. But one of the things I find useful in that situation is to say, that sounds really interesting. That sounds great. The team is at full capacity right now. So if that's a priority, can we talk through what I need to deprioritize in order to make sure that this gets done? So you're basically saying we don't have unlimited resources. Our resources are limited. We need to prioritize. Shall we prioritize together? But you're saying that in a way that is with a problem-solving attitude, um, positive, can do, and acknowledges their, their hierarchy or their, their authority or seniority. Okay, so let's move on to scenario number two, where you're volunteering for tasks that you don't really have time to do often because no one else is volunteering and you hate the awkward silence. Now, many of these tasks fall under the category of what is known as office housework or non-promotable tasks. So a non-promotable task is time-consuming, it won't be recognized as valuable, and it doesn't significantly contribute to the business. Now, many non-promotable tasks do need to be done. They are helpful. And actually, I think in organizations, we should value them more. But things like organizing events, like social events, scheduling, taking notes, maybe filling in for a colleague. Now, it's nice to be helpful. It's nice to be a team player. I am definitely not saying never do those things. But we don't want to be doing them all the time. And why does this matter? Because if you're spending your time on those tasks, then you're either working longer hours in order to get your work done, or you're just not spending your time on the tasks that are your actual priorities and that you will be, your performance will be measured 
upon or the tasks that raise your profile or build strategic relationships. It is not helping you to develop your career. It's not helping you to be most effective at your job. These tasks need to be shared out fairly if they need to be done. Now, what's really interesting, and you may have heard me say this before on the podcast, in mixed gender groups, women volunteer more, 48% more. And why? Because research shows there's a shared understanding by both men and women that women will volunteer more. It's basically a societal norm that we've all signed up to without even realizing that we've been indoctrinated with this. Now, what happens when we don't volunteer? Do you still sometimes end up with the tasks? Well, women are asked to volunteer 44% more than men are asked to volunteer. Women also say yes more. So women say yes 76% of the time and men say yes 51% of the time. Obviously, there are more than two genders, but this research is looking specifically at these two genders. So we volunteer more and we're asked more and we say yes more. And it's not serving us to do that all the time. So what do we want to happen? Well, we want managers and leaders to assign tasks on rotation fairly. So if you're manager and leader listening to this, just double check that you're doing that and not relying on the people who are helpful and always seem happy to do it because that's just part of their persona to be helpful and happy to do it. They're probably not always actually happy to do it. We want men to volunteer more. And if these tasks have value, we want them to be recognized. But also we can volunteer less. So what I suggest doing is to sit with that awkward silence. You know, when they ask for a volunteer and no one's volunteering, you go, okay, I'll do it. Like, just sit with it. See who else volunteers for a change. Or if no one else volunteers, then maybe it'll be decided on a fair basis who's going to do it. Maybe you end up negotiating and going, well, I'll do it this week. Can someone else do it next week? That's much better than people going, oh, she does it and she doesn't mind. And then you're spending two or three hours on the task. So that's what we can do when it comes to that office housework. And then finally, let's talk about when someone comes to you with a problem that isn't your job to solve. So so if it's your job to solve other people's problems, please ignore this bit. But when someone comes to you with a problem that isn't your job to solve and you feel like you have to either solve it for them or find them an alternative. And I call this letting people hand you their problems because they're coming to you with a problem and they're going, here, have my problem. And you're going, okay, I'll take it and I'll see if I can either solve it myself or tell you how you can solve it or find someone else to direct you to. And only then will I, you know, in fact, you don't even really hand it back because you've sorted it for them. And it's not necessarily your job to spend a lot of your time solving other people's problems. So the first thing is is to just notice you're doing this because I don't think this is something that's commonly talked about. Notice if actually when people are coming to you to ask you questions, you're really taking their problem on board and seeing it as yours to solve because it's nice to be helpful. Again, I'm not saying never do this, but it is really nice to be helpful, but it also costs you time and mental energy and our time, our working hours are limited and our mental energy is limited as well. And I imagine you've got some problems of your own that you could do with solving as well. I think as managers and leaders, we often do this for our team members too. Um, I quite often talk about this as spoon feeding your team. 
when they're coming to you to come up with answers to things that actually they need to be capable of coming up with themselves or those requests for information. And you're like, well, this has always been in the same place. Why am I telling you this again? And the reason they're doing it is they've learned it's much quicker to come to you and you'll either do it for them or give them an answer than it is to sit and work it out for themselves. And they're human. They're going to keep doing that because it works for them. We also find this with colleagues um, who say, oh, can you help me with this? Because I don't really want to do it. And then you end up helping them with it all the time. Now, we might think we're helping those people, but actually we're not because we're not empowering them to do their job well. Um, So particularly with your direct reports, it's really good to get them thinking for themselves first. Now, sometimes only you do have the answer, but sometimes they can come up with the answer or a different answer, maybe even a better answer if they think things through themselves. So one of the things I suggest in that situation is someone comes to you and the first thing you say is, well, what have you thought of so far? Or what are you thinking on this? Now, if they're not used to that, the first couple of times they might be a bit flummoxed, but what will happen eventually is before they come to you, they'll think, well, the first thing she's going to ask me is, what do I think? What do I think? And they often solve that problem themselves. And if they're asking you for information, then, you know, get someone to set up processes or procedures, standard operating procedures, so that you're not constantly answering these questions just because you've been there a long time or you know more so that it's written down and there's somewhere you can just send people so that you don't have to answer. You just go, well, go and look in that. Just like my parents used to say, go and look in the dictionary. Um, I mean, to be fair, I I used to say, well, I don't know how to spell it. So how am I going to find it in the dictionary? Um, I'm now realizing where my son gets his attitude from. But the gist of this one is let them keep hold of their own problems. Like if someone comes to you with a problem, don't automatically assume that it's your problem to solve. Because whilst it's good to be a problem solver, actually, as you progress, what you want to do is to be empowering other people to think things through to solve problems and actually to be working on how to stop those problems happening in the first place. You need to be doing more of the strategy and a bit less of all of the doing yourself. Okay, so we have talked about those three situations. We've talked about how to stop saying yes to something that isn't your job and how to come that idea that if you say something, if you say no to someone, then you're going to be unlikable. How to stop volunteering for or saying yes when asked for that office housework. And then we've looked at how to stop basically letting other people hand you their problems. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, well, how are people going to respond to this? Most of them will be totally fine and you'll wonder what you are worried about. I have that conversation all the time with people where they were like, okay, so I did, I did it. I psyched myself up. I said no to that senior person and they were like, okay, fine. And and that had been a really big deal to them. And I was like, great, now let's get practicing so that it doesn't feel like a big deal to say no. A few people may not enjoy what basically is resetting of boundaries because it means they have to do more work. They might have to do more work, but that work will have been theirs to do in the first place or theirs to take an equal share of in the first place. And some of them might push back. If they do push back, I would suggest that you think a bit like a parent and hold those boundaries firm and they'll get used to it. So think of it, um, for those of you that are parents or you see parents in action, 
when a kid throws a tantrum, because they've, so they've asked for something numerous times, they've asked quite reasonably, and the answer is no. And then they throw a tantrum. At that point, as a parent, you think, well, I really can't give it to you now because you've thrown the tantrum and that will be teaching you that that tantrum is going to get you what you want. Um, and so if you say no, and then they push and you go, all right, then, well, then they've learned that all they have to do is push and you're going to give in. They've learned that isn't a firm boundary and it sets a precedent that makes it a negotiation every time. They will soon learn that when you say no, you've said it for a good reason. You're generally helpful. Um, so you really can't do it. And then they will go and do it themselves or find another way to get it done. Now, imagine how much headspace and potentially extra time you'll have if you focus your time and your mental energy on your own priorities, not other people's. And that's really what this episode is all about. That's what it's about to probably increase your well-being at work, to maybe even improve your performance, and definitely take some of that frustration out of your working day. Just one more thing before we end this episode. Uh, The 14th of November is World Diabetes Day. Now, that is a day that bore no relevance at all to my life every previous year. But unfortunately for my son, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes um, about two weeks ago, in half term, basically. A complete shock out of the blue. And there's a couple of reasons I want to share this. The first is that knowing the signs of diabetes could well have saved his life. I got him to the hospital before he reached a point where um, he was seriously ill. Um, And when children do get seriously ill with undiagnosed diabetes, it can be life-threatening. So what I wanted to do is to just take this opportunity to share the symptoms of diabetes um, and to share a tiny bit about it. So first of all, the symptoms, there are four to remember. They're the four T's. So thirsty. So is your child or indeed you um, drinking more than usual? Toilet is the second one. So are they going to the toilet more than usual? Are they having more wheeze than usual? And in children, this often starts as bedwetting when they haven't been bedwetting previously. And that's what happened with Charlie. So um, and in fact, I'll tell you in a minute, Charlie's story. So thirsty, toilet, tired. So are they more tired than normal? And then thinner, are they losing weight? So thirsty, tired, toilet and thinner. And any one of those symptoms is enough to prompt a doctor's visit. And when you go to the doctors, they tend to do a urine test first and then um, a blood glucose test after that. So just to tell you um, our story. So um, Charlie was totally fine, showing no symptoms of anything at all. He started, he had a cough for about a month that just didn't disappear. And I remember saying, it's like he's fighting something off. He never gets properly ill, but he doesn't ever seem to be like 100% either. He'd been cowpoled rather regularly um, over a period of time. And he started having accidents at night, which he hadn't done since he was a lot, lot younger. But they put it down to the fact that he was coughing. And so that was making him thirsty at nighttime because he only really coughed at night and in the morning. 
And that happened probably every other day for about 10 days. And I still didn't really think anything of it. And then we went to the cinema to see the Paw Patrol movie. Um, and he had a rather large packet of popcorn. He refused to share and refused to stop halfway through it. Um, salty caramel popcorn. And he was so thirsty all afternoon. He actually drank probably about five times more than he normally would and went to the toilet five times more than he normally would. At which point I started getting concerned because thirsty and weighing a lot were on my radar for diabetes. But I still just didn't think that that was something that would ever impact us, to be honest. I didn't even know how you got it. I knew about type 2 diabetes and how your diet impacts it, but I didn't know anything about type 1 diabetes. Um, And so that set the alarm bells off. And then he seemed okay the next day. And then that next night, he went to the toilet quite a few times before bed and at the beginning of the night, didn't drink any water and still had a wee accident, at which point I then started getting really worried. And actually, after that Saturday with the popcorn, that's when I decided I was going to take him to the doctors. But obviously, doctors aren't open on Saturday. So on Monday, I called the doctors. They said, drop in a urine test because they won't see people straight away now anymore, will they? And so they said, drop in the urine test. I did that. They called me back about an hour later and said, where are you? Come to the surgery now. It does look like diabetes and we need to test your glucose to see which part of hospital to send you to right now. So that was a horrid, horrid moment um, when your worst fears get realized. Until then, I was like, do you know what? he's probably totally fine. He seems totally fine, but I'll just be super careful and rule this out. We had his blood glucose tested and we went straight to the children's ward where we were for three days, where the incredible nurses and the diabetes team have been looking after us wonderfully. We have a huge amount of support and I'm not going to go into the details of of how we deal with it and everything now, um, because this is really just about raising awareness. And the other piece of awareness I want to raise is that like Me, you're probably assuming that this is something that maybe happens when they're super young or happens when they're a teenager or it's genetic. And whilst there is a little bit of a genetic um, element to type 1 diabetes um, in that if you have a family member with it, you are more likely to, it's basically an autoimmune disease. So your body reacts to something. They don't know what it is. It could be like different viruses. They know that the rates have gone up quite rapidly since COVID, but it reacts to something. And that turns your pancreas off, basically, your immune cells or some kind of cells start attacking your pancreas and it stops working and it never starts working again. Your pancreas creates the insulin that you need to be able to let your body absorb energy. So basically, he needs his blood sugar managing. It can go too high when it doesn't have enough insulin and that can be really dangerous or it can go too low um, when he doesn't have, when he has too much insulin and that can be really dangerous as well. So there's going to be a lot to manage going forward. I hope that by listening to this, you are now really, really aware of those symptoms and that when they do happen, um, and they probably, you know, if your kid's thirsty, it probably is for something else, but it doesn't do any harm to get them to do a urine test. You know, it's, it's a little bit of an inconvenience in your day. And actually it might mean that you catch it early or you just get that peace of mind that they're totally fine. It can happen at any age, it's a lot more common up to the age of 40. And the peaks are usually diagnosis around four to seven or in, I think, early to mid teens. Um, So don't just assume that it couldn't happen. Always err on the side of caution and um, reach out to your doctors for a urine test. um, If you, you or your child are experiencing first weeing a lot, really tired, 
um, or getting thinner. Anyway, I hope that just that knowledge is really helpful for you to have. I've had an incredible amount of support from everybody and so much encouragement and support on LinkedIn. I really, really appreciate it. And my son is happy. Do you know what? He's no unhappier now than he was before. I, on the other hand, a bit worried, stressed, and the mental load is huge. Um, but do you know what? He's going to lead a long, happy, healthy life doing all the same things as everyone else. It's just there's a lot of stuff to happen, to make that happen. Anyway, I hope that that's an awareness message that's useful for you. Do take care of yourselves um, and I will speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're not already subscribing, please do so so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want to go deeper on the topics that we talk about here on the podcast, on confidence, self-doubt, imposter feelings, increasing your influence, being better at leading, then there are a few avenues that you can take. The simplest is to get yourself a copy of my book, Closing the Influence Gap. If you love this podcast, it is crazy if you don't already own that book because it's got so much of the content from the podcast in a really accessible way and so many practical tools and strategies. It's basically a practical guide for women leaders who want to be heard in the workplace. You can grab a copy in any bookstore. Now, we also run a couple of open programs. We run them once or twice a year each. There is Be Bolder, our four-week confidence and assertiveness course, which is suitable for women at any level. And then there's also Influence and Impact, which is our women's leadership development program. That's a three-month small group cohort working closely with me. And then my team and I also work in-house in organisations. Sometimes that's working with women leaders, whether that's running a whole women's leadership program or running one of our really popular masterclasses for women leaders. Sometimes it's working with early to mid-career women, where we're often sharing our Be Bolder confidence and assertiveness program. We also offer gender neutral versions of that, which are becoming increasingly popular because women aren't the only people experiencing confidence challenges. And then finally, we do work with allyship and supporting men to help bring about gender equity in the workplace as well. So if you are heading up a team or a department within your organization, you're responsible for the people function or L&D and would like to have a chat about how we can work together, I would absolutely love that. And you can go to my website and book a call or if it's simpler, head on over to LinkedIn. Let's connect and let's chat there. I would love to take working with you to the next level and help you to become an organization that retains and develops and supports the talented women that work for you. 